0: This is Julio Rodriguez and this is the Lookout Landing podcast. believe me get
1: busy when it comes. Hello everybody and welcome back to podcast. My name is Matthew Robertson. Always has been, always will be. You can find me on Twitter at mrobertson 22 and my writing at lookoutlanding.com where we host this beautiful podcast. Uh, today is October 20th, 2020, and the World Series is starting today between the Tampa Bay Rays and the Los Angeles Dodgers. And we have someone on the line here who is an expert in the tampa bay rays and also is here to talk to us about one man in particular our beloved or maybe for some of you not beloved at all uh, mike zanino who figures to get a good amount of playing time in the literal world series which is crazy so joining me today to discuss this is ashley mclennan who writes for d-rays bay as well as a couple other team sites in the sb Nation network and is a youtube host Writer at Fangraphs, Hardball Time, Short Relief, uh, a lot of other places, I'm sure. Ashley, how is it going today?
0: It's great. I can't complain too much, man. The World Series starts today. and The Tampa Bay Rays are in it.
1: It's really, it's really a beautiful thing. I'm so happy not only that the Rays get to be in the World Series and that America and I guess the whole world gets to watch them, but also that they beat the Houston Astros on their oh way there. God. It's really a win-win.
0: <laughs> Aren't we all happy that that is? You know, I, I'm sure there are people out there that, for like the sake of like revenge rematch, would have loved to see a Dodgers Astros like meet again in the World Series situation. Um, I, for one, had no interest in continuing this like. Astros redemption tour slash lean into villainy story arc that was going on and I'm happy they're done.
1: Exactly. The longer they stayed alive, I began to like sort of relitigate the whole situation and I was like, why are they even allowed in the postseason? This is fucked up. Like they shouldn't (laughs) they shouldn't be allowed to even compete for the World Series. If they really wanted to punish the Astros, they should have taken away the draft picks and banned them from the postseason and just make them play 60 games that truly count for nothing that would have been my solution
0: that would have been a beautiful thing because quite frankly it got a little too close for comfort there at the end for me so uh, I could have taken seeing the Rays play just about any other team at that point
1: yeah no totally I totally agree and it also made it not fun to watch like the Astros have ruined Watching the other team they're playing against for me as well because I just hate seeing them succeed at all so like the Correa walk-off home run obviously like Objectively a cool postseason moment to get a walk-off home run in the LCS But I was so upset that I didn't even really register what I had just watched
0: Well, and I think I really could have done without the broadcasters on TBS just constantly talking about what great leadership Carlos Correa was showing like Yes. Okay. I think in a microcosm, if you could remove everything we know about the Astros and everything that happened with them recently. Yeah, absolutely. Carlos Correa was showing incredible leadership. He was talking people down from fights. He was psyching people (laughs) up every other, like every other inning. And there was a lot of stuff there that I think on any other team or like pre-scandal Astros, I would have been like, yeah, that's really cool but I don't need to hear about how great the leadership is from a team where the players chose to cheat to win 1,000%. and then didn't get punished, you know?
1: Yeah, no, you're you're preaching to the choir. And I guess for you, um, you have a little bit of a, I don't know if luxury is the right word, but in the regular season you didn't get to watch the Astros very much as they're not in your division. As a Mariners fan and someone who was monitoring the Mariners season, it was like, oh, the Astros are here again horrible this is the worst day of my life but then i guess the flip side of that is like you get all the way this deep in the postseason and then you get reminded that the astros exist and that they're still pretty good that must have been Mm -hmm. difficult as well
0: i mean like it's such a weird it was such a weird season for so many reasons like you don't get the usual kind of interplay you don't get the the west coast games because i'm also a big tigers fan of course so for me all my teams seem to be like eastern time zone teams and i'm central so, you know, none of those West Coast road trips, no real diversity of teams you got to watch. Like, as a Rays fan, I got dead sick of watching the Red Sox and Yankees, let me tell you, so I know how you must feel about the Astros. Um, but, yeah, it, it was such a weird year.
1: It really was. so weird that Mike Zanino is probably going to get a lot of playing time in the World Series, which is yeah. what I called Ashley about, uh, wanted to sort of figure out my feelings on this as well as talk to you as someone who is sort of newer to the Mike Zanino experience Um, so my first question that I wanted to ask you was like what were your thoughts when you first heard the Rays had acquired Mike and were also letting Malik Smith go because at the time Malik Smith had just had a really good season so I think a lot of us Mariner fans myself included were excited like oh my god we got Malik Smith I think he was like by war, like a top 10 outfielder yeah. in the AL in 2018. So we like get some speed at the top of the lineup. We gotta get a guy Jerry DePoto has coveted for a while. And then we also get rid of Mike Zanino, who, you know, bless his heart, struggled very mightily at the plate sometimes. So, what were your thoughts when you heard the Rays were getting Zanino?
0: I, I try not to like read, I try not to look at the surface value of trades that the Rays make. Because a lot of times if you do that, it's dangerous because you're just like WTF, what on earth is happening here? Why make that decision? Especially a guy like Malex who is so beloved by the fan base and they had just announced the like promo schedule for the new season and they were gonna give away like replicas of his Florida diamond pendant that Whoa. was just like so iconic and I'm like, oh, that would have been so amazing. Um, I feel like there's a curse where if you're a, a raise, player who gets a specific night dedicated to you like some sort of promo giveaway you're destined to be traded because like steven Souza jr was also pending a promo giveaway because steven Souza jr's big thing for anybody who doesn't know is he always hugged people coming off of the field after like a home run after anything he was a big hugger so he'd always be hugging his teammates in the dugout so they had one of those little like monkey arm kind of like hugging toys that would like wrap around your neck. And it was like a Steven Souza Jr. hugger. <laughs> so wow. I, I want to picture the factory where these things were made that they had to like call them up and be like, yeah, no, that super specific baseball thing isn't going to happen now. Um, <laughs> so I feel like there's a danger in that. If you are a raised player um, that your trade may be coming down the line, if they've picked a promo night for you um, with Zanino, I think that the intelligence in it was that there wasn't, a real dedicated catcher at that point. And a lot of the catchers that were in the org were kind of still pretty far away from coming up. And I'm an absolute sucker in my life for a veteran catcher. Like if you wanted me to pick one of my top five all time players for forever, it's still going to be Alex Avila to this day. Um, so give me a guy who can sit behind the plate, take a beating, and just call games. And I could not care less if that guy hits 178 for the year. Um, <laughs> but I might be in a minority there. So Well, and me, you're just
1: the perfect Mike Zanino fan. Like, you <laughs> could not have explained him better.
0: <laughs> right? And so for me, I wasn't mad at it because I'm, I'm like very much of the, the school of I don't care what your catcher does offensively. His entire value to me is can he lead young pitchers, of which the Rays had tons coming up at that point. And the Rays, obviously, are also big on, on moving things around and changing things. And, and that sort of coincided with the Chris Archer trade as well. And suddenly you have young pitchers coming in like Tyler Glasnow and Shane Baz. And you have these guys that aren't fully established. And a guy like Mike Zunino is so good for that. Because, you know, they've worked with, you know, erratic pitchers. They've worked with young pitchers, veteran pitchers. And I think the value of somebody like that is so huge that bats come secondary, in my opinion. Um, And I'm not mad at the bats that I've seen in clutch situations from Mike Zunino. But I'm also, I mean, I could do with better than a 147, which is what he hit regular season this year. Um, but he also kind of fought injury, which is par for the course with an aging catcher. I mean, it's a really rough job on your body. So I don't know. I wasn't mad at it, but I, it's one of those ones where if I looked at it on the surface, I would kind of had question marks about it. I really wasn't, it was the bringing him back part of it that was me, had me going, but really like we could have had Travis Darnot for another season and look how well he did with the Braves. So I was iffy on that, but I choose to yield to the um, the genius behind all of those roster moves for the Rays and just know that they must have something that they're thinking about.
1: Yeah, it's so funny, too, because like the Rays, you know, very famously like embraced analytics and like try to outsmart everyone. And then you look and like they have a guy starting every day or maybe not every day, but starting a lot who is hitting 140, whatever, and striking out all the time. And you realize like, OK, maybe the the smartness here is something that we're not totally seeing. And I think that goes into like the, oh, it's impossible to, you know, quantify. But like he does have a lot of human value, which I mm-hmm. think is kind of like. A fun experiment for the Rays, especially where like usually they would be the team that would kind of throw that out. But with catchers, it does seem like that's maybe a more important thing than the general public gives them credit for. And the book on him in Seattle is that he struck out all the time and walked about once a month. And it looks like he's still basically doing that. He even set a career high in strikeout rate this year. But no one will really remember that because the Rays are in the damn World Series. So um, another question I had for you is like, was there anything that maybe surprised you about his game or his skill set? Like when he first arrived in Tampa, was there anything that like kind of made you perk up and go, oh, we haven't had that in a while? Like, oh, that's what the Rays were targeting when they got this guy.
0: I mean, I look at stuff like for me, there's not a lot of metrics that I, I can easily look at for catcher and be like, Oh damn, that's like really impressive. But he did have like last season, I think it was something like a 39% caught stealing, which is incredible. Like don't sleep on Mike's Nino apparently. Um, Cause mostly you're usually going to see guys kind of in that 20 to 25 range. So like a 39 is just absolutely bonkers. And I I, looking at his numbers, like, because I got to do it, I got to have the B ref up while I'm saying this. And like, he has several seasons over 30%. So like, stuff like that is really appealing. Um, Because if you can limit the running game for another team that obviously limits the amount of extra bases and scoring opportunities, and it's huge. So um, that was a nice thing. But it's just, it's the stuff that's the intangibles, right? And that's just sort of my take on catchers is that you you can't know how valuable having somebody like that is because you're not in those mound visits you're not there with the pitcher and the catcher in that silent kind of communication battle but i think you see a lot less of the resistance from pitchers working with sunino that you sometimes see with other catchers like a lot less of the shake off you see a lot of that like familiarity and understanding of things and i think that there's so much value in that that people don't really get
1: yeah i think you're spot on there and i think that's the thing that's so hard for a lot of modern baseball fans to embrace especially the people who like you know are into baseball enough to read like team specific blogs you know like Mm -hmm. what me and you write for they're like oh we want you know we want to be proven right with numbers and analytics and then it's like well zanino's not exactly that i'm sure there's a lot of defensive analytics that grade him very well but mm-hmm. offensively it's exactly what you were talking about you're like yeah we'll look past this because he's a great communicator or whatever and I think also funny part of this is that's kind of uh I don't know how to say this delicately kind of maybe the opposite of what we've got in Jake Fraley who was part of that trade <laughs> I don't know if you've been following Jake Fraley's no. life or if you want him back but uh let's just say he has expressed a lot of beliefs that concern us as a fan base oh. so no, thank yeah. You. yeah, we can get into it Maybe once we're done recording here I don't want to implicate <laughs> anyone Or make our fans upset um, So what can you tell us about The way the Rays and Kevin Cash Have used Mike Zanino this year Because I was looking at the team's B R F Page f pages for the 2020 raise and he was technically the backup uh, Michael Perez got two more starts this year so is it like an all Michael platoon is one of the, is it like a lefty righty situation <laughs> or is it kind of just like they want to give both uh guys enough rest and like equal playing time seemed like a good way to do it
0: as far as I've watched I don't think it's matter it's like not like a pairing thing so it's not like one pitcher seems to prefer one mic over the other Um, It seems to me to be more that I think they leaned a lot on Perez because he was healthier and they wanted to kind of limit um, Zanino's time because I think he was a little bit injured this year. Um, And and so it gave Perez a chance, Perez is what I view to be the Rays future everyday catcher. So I think this was really just an opportunity for him to test himself in a shortened season um to see how he would do with more games under his belt um so i think that's really the only reason it was some injury and some some opportunity to kind of test him in more games than he had done previously um really i don't think it's much more than that because perez really didn't have much better numbers in the season than zunino did he was hitting 167 so you know nothing too dazzling there um but they've both had pretty good showings in the postseason Um, and they're both really consistent in their work with the pitchers. I think that it's just a matter of Perez kind of finding his balance with those guys um, and learning to work with them, where I think Zudino, like we've talked about, has a lot more experience in kind of rotating through pitchers and helping lead them. Um, And, of course, having a veteran catcher around will help a young guy pick that stuff up pretty quickly too.
1: Yeah, and I'm glad that you mentioned the, like, you know, the pairing thing, because that's what I was wondering about. It seems like every pitcher would want to throw to Mike Zanino. I mean, I don't know specifically what the Rays pitchers feel about this or, like, how they view him as a catcher. But it seems like, I mean, for someone whose value is mostly defensive, I kind of thought, like, oh, okay, they're going to pair him with, you know, the big guns, and then Perez gets the back of the rotation. But the fact that it's so equal is is interesting to me. Um, I was also wondering if you, like, are a pitch frame truther. Like, there's some people who say it's kind of, you know – hocus pocus and some people who are like oh this is a very valuable stat um I'm just wondering like when you watch a game are you like looking at the way he receives the ball and frames are you just kind of like you know watching the overall game and like that stuff is secondary to you
0: I think you kind of it's one of those things that sort of goes by you until you see a really good example of a pitcher or, or a catcher kind of stealing a strike (laughs) or stealing something that should not have been called a strike just by some well-positioned glove work. Um, It's not something I kind of go with every single time a pitcher throws something in. It's just like one of those, sometimes you just see something that's been done in an interesting way. Um, And I don't know that I put much stock in it as like a stat. Like I'm sure baseball being baseball, there's measurables for absolutely everything from like... You know defensive run save to like how often does your manager spit in the dugout like I'm sure there's just something that we can you know quantify all of that with I just don't know how you can really turn how a guy holds his glove into like a balance between balls and strikes you know like that's a tough thing for me to to kind of believe in <laughs> but you can definitely see it when it works so yeah
1: yeah we have someone um on staff, I'll give him a shout out, Zach Gottschalk, who kind of describes pitch framing as like flopping in the NBA, where like you notice it when it works, right? So like if yeah. a basketball player is driving and he flops and he gets the call, like, Oh, that's great. Good job. He should do that more often. Same thing as when a catcher steals a strike. But when it doesn't work, it's very easy to either A, go unnoticed, or B, it's like, oh my God, that was so blatant. Like, he's bad at this. You know, like a bad flop or like a really bad pitch frame where they like jerk their wrist really quickly. That's like not, that's kind of why I think people sort of poo poo it because they're like, oh my God, it's such a like naked attempt at fooling the umpire. But I think it's great. I mean, I think that as long as you have the ability to do something and do it well in a way that benefits your team, you should absolutely do that. And like, it's obviously not. You know, the same thing as like blatant cheating. It's not cheating at all, but it's there's a reason why I think people don't take it seriously. And I'm glad that Mike Zanino specifically has been one of the guys who seems to do okay at it because it's like truly his only saving grace, you know? Like watching him strike out over and over and over without any sort of other skill to fall back on would be tough for both him and the people who have to watch him on a daily basis. And it's wild to think that like coming out of Florida when he was a like a huge prospect, like won the golden spikes for best college player in the nation. It was like, Oh, this guy'll hit and then now it's completely flipped where he's like he's maybe the best defensive catcher in the league and he'll hit every so often. You know? It's so funny watching his evolution and frankly I'm proud of him. Like I didn't think there was a lot of hope for him. It kind of seemed like the mariners trading him was like them giving up on him in a way. And it's cool to see that he's found a little home for himself i think going back home to florida helped as well i don't know if you've given that any thought
0: no i didn't actually factor that in um i don't know i feel like guys like that are pretty resilient but i guess there is a huge difference between like spending half your year in seattle and spending half your year in tampa bay um (laughs) quite a change of scenery for sure
1: It really is. And I think that it like it wears on people, you know, like it's not just like, oh, my God, the you know, the culture is different, which it is, obviously. But also just you're so isolated, like even like, you know, obviously you're not going to like drop everything in the middle of, you know, playing baseball to like fly home to Florida and see your family. But like even if you're trying to like get on the phone with them, there's a three hour time difference. And like usually your window is after the game when it's the middle of the night there. So I think that there's definitely some credence to like him going home and just kind of being more relaxed like feeling more at ease and I think that that's showing up a little bit you've obviously watched him a lot more than I yeah. have this year but I don't know it just seemed like he never really got his footing in Seattle he had a bunch of seasons too where he was like so A to Z you know like he would have one really good month and then one awful month and then there was a couple of times where they sent him down to AAA and stuff and like they brought in Chris Ionetta for one season because they really had no faith in him so it was a trying period for him and I think that Any Mariner fan who, like, has any sort of resentment towards him just really needs to let it go because this also comes up a lot, and this is, I guess, a little bit tied into what we're talking about with Chris Taylor, who was truly just a non-entity in Seattle and then figured out how to hit, became a little bit of a power hitter, weirdly enough, for a time there in L.A. And, like, the thing that I would say about both him and Zanino is, like, it wasn't going to happen here. Like, there's no way the Mariners could have just waved a magic wand and fixed him. Like, the improvements came from leaving which then also mm-hmm. opens up a conversation of like well the Mariners should get better at like developing their own players but like it's not like I don't see it as much of a a failure as it is like you know a a bonus for the Rays and the Dodgers like they were able to unlock it good on them I don't think yeah. that the Mariners should be held accountable for like ruining him you know what I mean
0: no I think that that's like a, it's a matter of like finding the right fit right like I think that you have people that can go to a team and excel like crazy. Like I look at yeah, Zunino did great with the Rays, but another really good example would be um, Tyler Glasnow who was in the Chris Archer trade with the pirates who was kind of like floundering with the pirates. Like they really didn't know what to do with this guy. And he comes over to the Rays. He starts working with a pitching coach who also happens to be the same height because when you're six foot eight, that's a factor. Um, And he just, he became this incredible, powerful starter. And I think that that's maybe not something he could have become with the Pirates, and not because they're the Pirates, but because they weren't necessarily the right fit for Tyler Glasnow. And I think that that's something you can see across the board with every team, where you can be really surprised by a guy who might be overlooked somewhere else, or might not excel somewhere else, and then come to a different team where... You know, that that clubhouse environment is a little different where there are guys he kind of gets along with better, where those coaches are kind of right on his level or can explain things or demonstrate things in a way that maybe they couldn't or that didn't click. And suddenly the whole new the whole world opens up and you have this guy who's just, you know, someone night and day different from who he was on another team. And I don't think that that's a failing on the Mariners part, because I'm sure that there are guys who have done that by joining the Mariners um so I think it's like I mean it's it's such a an environment thing right yeah
1: no that's exactly it and I think it's funny that it happened at the same position but like the Mariners you know as we talked about didn't really work for Mike Zanino then the Mariners get Austin Nola from Miami who was kind of just floating around the minor leagues and like barely had played at all and then he gets to Seattle and they're able to not only develop him into like the best catcher in the American League but then trade him for prospects which is like that was the whole point of these last 2 years. So like it is it's a total fit thing. I don't think that there's any way for us as outsiders to understand it, but like there's no other explanation to me other than like it didn't work. And I know that that's like kind of n- unsatisfying, but like sometimes in life things just don't work. And I think that understanding that and becoming okay with it is a huge part of not only sports fandom but just life in general like it mm-hmm. didn't work out man that's fine be happy for him that he's get to play that he gets to play in the world series you know exactly Um, So, okay, when he was uh, with the Mariners, though, it was always the breaking stuff out of the zone that gave Mike Zanino trouble to the point that, well, so uh, when I was doing research for this, I just, out of curiosity, typed in my own Twitter handle plus the word Zanino, and I found a tweet where I was like, have the Mariners (laughs) thought about getting Mike Zanino's eyes checked? And it was, like, (laughs) obviously kind of a joke, but also, like, there was a real concern that he just wasn't seeing the ball very well. Like, I think it was... Oh, man, I might be wrong about this. I want to say it was Yasmani Grandal. Someone got LASIK surgery, and it like helped them dramatically, like turned their whole career around. And I think that might have been around the time that I tweeted this, because I was like, the Mariners should maybe consider that. But anyway, he could never hit breaking stuff out of the zone. And when I'm looking at the Dodgers pitchers, you have a lot of guys who certainly do have good curveballs and sliders, but also a lot of dudes whose bread and butter is just straight, unfiltered velocity, you know, thinking yeah. specifically of guys like, Bueller or Dustin May, and then certainly Bruce Star Gratterall. So if he gets the chance to hit off these hard throwers and just sit fastball, I think he has a decent chance to do some damage. And we've seen in the playoffs if he connects, like the ball goes very, very far. That's never been a problem for him. So of course, like, you know, the Dodgers are smart. They know that he prefers fastballs and would probably never see another curveball again if it were up to him. So that cat and mouse game of how they pitch him should be pretty fascinating what do you think about the way that Mike Zunino is going to be able to navigate hitting against the Dodgers
0: I hate to say it but I feel like a lot of the success that Mike Zunino's had in the postseason has just been finding those lucky pitches that just sort of like hit the middle of the zone and like sure. are right in his like perfect like swing path that he doesn't have to make a ton of adjustment. And it's just like, Oh, we, we done fucked up and we found the Zunino zone. Um, so I worry because of how good the pitching for the Dodgers is. Um, but at the same time, I feel like he kind of did these interesting things in the series against the Astros, because there's one thing I noticed in the Astro series, there was a couple of those terrible day games where like, late evening games where the light was like just just everywhere like there were shadows it was creating strobing on the ball and Zunino had like this perfect calm about him of just acknowledging and being aware of every single one of those pitches and I think that that's a gift that only a catcher could have and his just his general awareness of those very very difficult pitches and taking advantage of those really kind of perked me up and made me look at it and go like this guy knows what he's seeing and i think that that's really the benefit that he has going into this is that he's obviously got a really great eye for pitches and any of those pitches where they've messed up and put it in that zone where he's got that comfort swing he's going to take advantage of it every time and i think we see that even with the best pitchers those those pitches come in every game so, I think it's just a matter of them syncing up, and I think he could really take advantage of that.
1: I really hope so. I think that watching him excel in the postseason, like, this is kind of a dumb metaphor, but like, it felt like a parent. Like, I was watching him, and like, I remember watching him grow up, you know, and like, I remember his baseball childhood, and now to see him like thrive and like hit massive. 450 foot home runs in the postseason was so cool I was very proud of him and I really hope that he can figure that out against the Dodgers because you know he giveth and he taketh away obviously like there's not much better than watching him just absolutely clatter the ball but then when he's going bad it's also like deeply depressing because he's Mm -hmm. just swinging at everything not making any contact doesn't seem to have a good grip of the strike zone but I think I mean from what I've seen in the playoffs he's like Fairly locked in, at least for Zanino standards. So yeah. I think that we should be in a good spot. I do worry about him against Clayton Kershaw. I don't know if he's starting in Game One. We're recording this he, like thirty minutes is. before game time. Yeah, okay. I,
0: and I, my only hope, and I, I'm, I'm gonna go to hell for saying this, um, is that we get like postseason yips, Kershaw tonight. That would be a plus. <laughs> like, so sorry to Dodgers fans listening to this, but like. We all know that Clayton Kershaw has a, a bit of a, you know, difficult record with the postseason. And I would just, I don't wish any ill on him, but I would like him to not be very good tonight. Yeah,
1: I think that's a good way to put it. I I mean, I've gone through every emotion possible watching Clayton Kershaw in the playoffs. Yeah. Like as someone who doesn't really care about the Dodgers or I'm not attached to him in any way. Yeah. But it went from like, you know, oh, this is interesting, like from a pure baseball fan standpoint, like this is maybe worth monitoring to then thinking, Oh, this is kind of funny, like in a perverse way. Mm -hmm. Like he just, he's the great, especially like 2014, 15 when he was dominant Mm -hmm. and he still was giving up like home runs to Matt Adams in the postseason. I'm like, this is great. This is a very funny outcome, but now I feel bad for him. And I wonder how that's going to play out watching him do this against the Rays who I think are great and fun to watch despite Mm -hmm. what anyone says. So like, it's going to be, I don't know tonight on Tuesday as we're, you know recording this 20 minutes before the game starts I'm like trying to grapple with what I want Clayton Kershaw to do because I'm definitely rooting for the Rays and particularly Mike Zanino but I it's also like I'm so tired of the narrative you know like I just want this conversation to end <laughs> so like I kind of want him to just throw a no hitter but also I want the Rays to win oh it's very yeah, confusing and, and
0: no, no no thank you he can throw like four very good innings and then just implode on the fifth if that's cool yeah. with everyone um I would be fine with that <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Okay, I wanted to get to some um, Just sort of bigger Rays questions Before yeah. we go And I kind of hinted at one a second ago But there's been some bad takes Just some flat out wrong opinions about the Rays Saying they're not fun to watch They're not aesthetically, aesthetically displeasing pleasing, yeah. yeah, which is crazy to me Because also, side note The Rays, the, the white jerseys are whatever They're kind of plain But the navy blue and the baby blue jerseys Are mm-hmm. spectacular like they're fun to look at. That's an aesthetic. It's pleasing. I like them. But for me personally, I think you know everything that people have said is mostly wrong. But the <laughs> one thing that I will say is a little bit unusual is watching all of these bullpen games. So it's weird because also they all have great stuff. Like watching these guys just come in and throw easy ninety eight with movement is crazy. But also, it just doesn't really feel as postseason-y to watch a starter go, two or three innings and then bullpen the rest of the way. So my only question for you is just, like, what has that been like? How do you personally feel about the Rays kind of bullpenning their way to the World Series?
0: I mean, I'm of two minds about it because I think in a lot of situations, it's nice that when you see a guy like Blake Snell kind of start to get a little uneasy in the fourth or fifth inning, that you have that ability to go to a guy like a Nick Anderson to, like, you know, a Diego Castillo. Like, you have like they've go they've jokingly called it like a stable of guys who throw 98 right like it's it's good to know because again i am also a tigers fan and the sensational horror of watching that bullpen devolve over the past 10 years um makes it almost surprising when you see one that functions and where everybody actually fulfills a role and nobody really makes you feel sick to their stomach when they come to the mound. (laughs) Like it's a very unique kind of take on things. Um, So I like to know that when it comes to it, the way that they can platoon those, those pitchers means that in theory in, if it goes to like a game six or, or anything like that, that you could theoretically pull, you know, a short rest Tyler Glasnow in for a two, inning opener role and like play that game. I think what makes people really mad about it is that it is so different looking from what we're used to seeing in baseball. And you hear the arguments all the time that it devalues starting pitchers. And I look at it and I think, you know, sure, it's fun to watch a guy go nine innings and, you know, strike out everybody and have a great game. But, like, how many pitchers are we seeing with arm fatigue? We're seeing Justin Verlander off getting Tommy John surgery this season. We're seeing, like, pitchers getting worn down over time. And I look at it and I think, well, what if we keep doing it this way? And suddenly a guy who has the skill that Tyler Glasnow or Blake Snell has, and they're going five innings strong and not getting overused, suddenly their career can just keep going. You know what I mean? Like
1: Yeah, well, and it's even I mean, this is this season's the perfect example of it. Like they're all rested and healthy for the yeah. World Series. That's the whole point. Like they didn't tire anyone out, they didn't blow out anyone's arm. Like they're all ready to go now. And sure they won't probably throw complete games, but they can go long and then if they get into trouble, oh we have Anderson, Castillo, Fairbanks, all these guys that yeah. other teams would kill to have. Like it's a sound baseball strategy it just is kind of jarring to watch especially when someone is going good like they're like in the fourth inning at like 75 pitches and then Kevin Cash comes out you're like oh that's strange but I guess if you have the bullpen that he has and you want to save these guys again for the World Series which is the yeah. whole point like you totally get it you know it I mean, makes I'm sense st- when you step back
0: I'm still a little salty he pulled Morton as early as he did in game seven because I think Charlie could have gone another inning easily but it was kind of interesting to watch Dusty do the same thing right for the Astros and like you can see other managers kind of watching what Kevin Cash does because if you ask me Kevin Cash is hands down no doubt al manager of the year this year like don't even at me like he should have won the past two years but didn't um i i think he's got that on lock because he does he does things that i don't think any other team does when facing things like injury and like you know limiting your your kind of these guys coming back and making sure that his team kind of holds it together and stays in one piece and he's just done some super fascinating things with baseball and I, for one, don't feel the need to question him too much when he makes changes to the in, in the pitching lineup. You know what I mean? Like
1: Right. Yeah, you've gotten this far. Like there's no reason to, to doubt it anymore. Yeah.
0: In cash we trust.
1: Hundred percent, cash rules everything around me. Okay, last question, last question, because you have to go and watch your team play the World yes. Series. Um, I'm not gonna make you do a prediction cause predictions are silly. But how are you feeling about the Rays' chances to win this baby? Just generally speaking,
0: I'm kind of in this like peaceful place right now, where obviously I would very much like to have the Rays win the World Series, and that's what I'm hoping for, and that's what I want to see. But like the Dodgers have been in the postseason the past eight years in a row. Um, They were the only team that had a better record in baseball than the the Rays did. And it was only by three games. So it's not like a huge gap in in that. But they're very differently constructed teams, right? Like, and that's what the big narrative is on everything. It's like, oh, you know, the Dodgers, they pick superstars and the Rays pick nobodies and blah, blah, blah. And if you look at the difference between what each team's net worth is and what percentage of their net worth they actually spend on on on-field talent... It's so incredibly comparable, and even to the point where the Rays are spending more um, of what they earn t- towards their players, that that whole narrative is just stupid to begin with. It's just different guys. But, I mean, it's really hard to look at a team that's got Mookie Betts and, you know, Corey Seager and, like, these guys that are just mega stars, right? Like, that they're exciting and, like, name talent. And it's hard to look at that and be like, yeah, we could beat that, no problem. But who would have thought, like, Randy Rosarena would have been what he is. <laughs> and I, I think that they're more evenly matched than people give them credit for. It's just that the Rays don't have that same immediate star power that people respect. Um, but they do still have the talent. So I'm, I'm fine kind of either way. Like, obviously, I'd love to see them win. But I know that it's not going to be easy like it's going to be a tough uphill climb the whole way they can't make mistakes like they did in games five and six against the astros where that like defense just wasn't there they have to be really careful they can't they have to take advantage of any mistakes that are made against them um, which is something they've proven to be very good at but they can't kind of like let up at all because i think that that would be their, their undoing in general in the series
1: yeah, you hit the nail on the head on the star power thing. I think it's very interesting to see how like casual baseball fans approach a team whose stars are the pitchers, like the Rays, you know, like Glasnow and Snell and Charlie Morton are like three of the best pitchers in the American yeah. League. But it, it's not like it's not the same thing as looking at the Dodgers lineup card and you're like, Oh my god, it's Betts, Seeger, Bellinger, Justin Turner. Like the Rays have that in their rotation, but not necessarily on the on the field defensively or in the batting order so it doesn't really hit the same way but it is it's like it's crazy to me how people are just discounting the Rays because like you said they were the best team in the American League this year the only team better than them is the Dodgers who are like supposed to be that good so I think it's definitely gonna be a fair fight I'm if if the Rays pitchers keep doing what they're doing I think you know they have a good chance and obviously it's not very like deep analysis like oh Mm -hmm. if they pitch well they're gonna win but it's the truth I mean you saw what the Braves did to the Dodgers in the first four games of that series or whatever it was like the Dodgers looked fooled the whole time or like overmatched and the Rays probably have even better pitching than Atlanta so I think it'll definitely be interesting I also think it's very funny that like you know, the Rays making the World Series is like kind of a nightmare scenario for Rob Manfred. And then also the way that they use the bullpen slows the game down so much that it's also a nightmare for Rob Manfred. So I kind of like that angle of like, the Rays are flying in the face of everything that Major League Baseball wants them to be. And they have a pretty good chance of winning the whole thing.
0: I sure hope so.
1: (laughs) Okay, well, we're going to let you go because like we said, you have to go watch your team in the World Series, something that none of us know anything about. I will... One more thing for the Mariners fans out there listening. Uh, Dave Roberts, as Dodgers manager, has more playoff appearances than the entire Seattle Mariners franchise, which is a bummer. And the fact that I had to learn that while doing this means that you have to listen to it also. So congratulations, everyone. (laughs) Um, Enjoy the World Series. Um, Ashley, before you go, do you want to get any plugs in, direct people's attention to anything I know you write for like 12 different websites
0: um yeah you you can find my work over at d Rays bay uh over at bless you boys if you're into the tigers at all um I do a couple weekly columns over at bleed cubby blue uh and if you're just keen to look up on youtube I have a channel called 90 feet from home Um, where I explain baseball so if you want to know more about advanced stats or if somebody in your life needs a primer and doesn't want to be talked down to about it that's the entire point of the channel I just want to make baseball accessible for everybody so if you want to check that out that's on YouTube just be aware that apparently there's also a terrible Eric Roberts movie called 90 feet from home which might be like the first several hits when you get through there Um, but yeah if you look for it, it it's there I promise you
1: Great. Yeah, I love that. Didn't know about the Eric Roberts movie. I might have to check that out after the season's over when there's nothing to do. Just no, to get a nice hate watching. Um, but yeah, Ashley is also on Twitter at 90 feet from home. I'm on Twitter at M Robertson 22. Follow Lookout Landing. Subscribe to this podcast if you feel so inclined. And we hope you all, no matter who you are rooting for or what you want to see happen to Mike Zanino, we hope you enjoy the World Series. That's what I'll say about that. (laughs) But me personally, hope he hits 19
0: home runs. Amen.
1: Amen. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you next time. Goodbye.